Hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer is the most common biology among breast cancer subtypes. This biology also makes up for majority of patients with metastatic breast cancer. Currently, their five-year survival rate is around 30%. While targeted hormonal therapy combination treatments have improved outcomes in these patients, eventually the disease becomes resistant to endocrine-based therapy and they need to be treated with chemotherapy. Novel targeted delivery of chemotherapy is a rapidly growing field with antibody drug conjugates frequently referred to as ADCs, showing more efficacy and having an impact on clinical outcomes. Welcome to Project Oncology on ReachMT. I'm Dr. Pavani Chalasani and joining me today to talk about the Tropics O2 trial is Dr. Hope Rugo, a professor of medicine and director of breast oncology and clinical trials education at the University of California, San Francisco Comprehensive Cancer Center. Dr. Rugo, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for your interest. So let's drive into this exciting trial. Can you share some background on why the Tropics O2 trial was started? It's a great question. Sasetizumab gobatecan, which was the experimental agent in Tropics O2, is a first-in-class trope 2 directed antibody drug conjugate with a high drug-to-antibody ratio and the payload of SN38, which is the active metabolite of irenotecan. This is membrane permeable so that it can leak out and kill neighboring cells, the so-called bystander effect. Uh, Sasetizumab govitecan, as you know, is approved in patients who have metastatic triple negative breast cancer who've received at least one therapy in the metastatic setting. Uh, based on the ASCENT trial, which showed an improvement in progression-free and overall survival. In the initial phase one, two trials of sasetizumab govitecan, there was a cohort evaluated who had horm- heavily pretreated hormone receptor-positive HER2-negative metastatic disease. In those patients who all received sasetizumab given day one and day eight every three weeks, uh, there was an impressive response rate around 30%, and progression-free survival uh, that was just under a year. I think that you know this is a very durable uh, response, and the toxicity was similar to what we'd seen in treating triple-negative breast cancer. The primary toxicity being neutropenia. So that was very encouraging data in 54 patients, and led to the whole concept of further studying sasetizumab govitecan in hormone receptor-positive disease. There's also the other background, which is that trope 2 itself is expressed on about 80% of breast cancers, regardless of subtype, and it's a transmembrane calcium signal transducer. It's been linked to worse outcome and cancer progression, so it made sense to expand the group of uh, cancers, essentially, that we were testing this agent in. Great. Thank you. So can you comment on the study design and what were its objectives? Absolutely. So sasetizumab was tested in uh, this phase three trial in patients who had heavily pretreated hormone receptor positive HER2 negative metastatic breast cancer. The receptor status was determined locally, not centrally. Patients had to have received at least two, but not more than four lines of chemotherapy for metastatic disease and at least one endocrine therapy, a taxane, and a CDK4-6 inhibitor in any setting. Patients were randomized to fit into this criteria uh, one-to-one to to receive sasetizumab govitecan or treatment of physician choice, a chemotherapy option, including capecitabine, venerelbine, gemcitabine, or aribulin. 
The primary endpoint was progression-free survival by blinded independent central review, but a key secondary endpoint was also overall survival, of course, response, um, and patient-reported outcomes and safety. And like many trials we've seen recently, this was uh, designed with a hierarchical statistical plan. So progression-free survival as the primary endpoint needed to be significant to look at overall survival. In turn, overall survival needed to be significant in order to look at overall response. And then overall response has to be significant to look at quality of life in time to deterioration. So we had already reported progression-free survival earlier in the year in the first interim analysis, and then most recently reported the second interim analysis of overall survival. Great, thank you. Now that we have the background and the really interesting the study design, can you comment on the results a little bit more? Absolutely. So progression-free survival uh, was aimed for a hazard ratio of 0.7, uh, and that was the first uh, result we reported at ASCO 2022 and now published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. What's interesting is that the progression-free survival showed sort of a curious pattern that we see in trials where patients are enrolled who've been heavily pretreated, regardless of the class of agent. For example, we saw this also in the Emerald trial that treated patients with an endocrine therapy who'd been heavily pretreated. So in this case, it was chemotherapy. What we saw was that in, at the time of the first scan to evaluate response, about 20% of patients, a little bit more in each arm had progressive disease and went off study. So that limits a little bit of our medians by Kaplan-Meier. Regardless of that fact, the median progression-free survival was significantly prolonged with sasetizumab compared to chemotherapy of physician choice, and a little under 58% of the patients who got chemotherapy received aribulin. The medians were four months for chemotherapy and 5.5 months for sasetizumab, a difference that was 1.5 months, but the hazard ratio was 0.66 and the p-value of 0.003. We did three landmark analyses looking at six, nine, and 12 months. And at each time point, there were more patients alive and free from progression who received sasetizumab compared to chemotherapy. And notably at one year, there were three times as many patients alive and free from progression who received sasetizumab. The first interim analysis of overall survival uh, showed a trend towards a numeric trend towards improvement, but it was not statistically significant. We presented at ESMO 2022, the second interim analysis of overall survival, which will be the final formal analysis because it was significant favoring sasetizumab. At the second interim analysis, we had 100 more survival events than we had at the first interim analysis. A little bit sobering, but 390 events had occurred in the overall uh, patient population with a median follow-up of about 12 and a half months. Overall survival was significantly prolonged with sasetizumab, going from 11.2 to 14.4 months, an absolute difference of 3.2 months, hazard ratio 0.79, and a p-value of 0.02. We also looked at a landmark analysis at 12 months and at 12 months, just 47% of patients were alive with chemotherapy and 61% were alive with sasetizumab, a difference of 14%. 
because we saw a significant improvement in overall survival, we could look at response criteria. Overall response and clinical benefit rate were significantly higher or greater in patients who received sasetizumab compared to chemotherapy, and the median duration of response was longer. And we looked at the quality of life using the EORTC QLQC30 uh, scales and saw a significant delay in time to deterioration in global health status, quality of life, and fatigue favoring sasetizumab and a similar time to deterioration with pain. The safety profile is similar to what we saw in ASCENT, uh, where the primary toxicity is neutropenia. There was no increase in febrile neutropenia. There was one patient death attributed to sasetizumab uh, that was a neutropenic colitis death. Great. That kind of segues into my question about, you know, the side effects that the clinician should be concerned about and any kind of monitoring strategies that you use. Well, that's a really important question. The one nice thing about the new generation of antibody drug conjugates is that they don't cause uh, neuropathy. And neuropathy can be a huge limitation for treatment long-term with chemotherapy in the metastatic setting. And it has a huge impact on quality of life. But neutropenia obviously can have life-threatening consequences. So now that we're treating patients earlier with triple negative disease with sasetizumab, I'm seeing a lot less neutropenia. So for neutropenia, if a patient has received growth factors with their last chemotherapy, I use growth factors upfront with uh, the first cycle, trying to avoid that rise in first cycle neutropenia. I usually give a single dose of filgrastim on day three, and then uh, day 11, essentially after day eight treatment. Some of my colleagues have actually used pegfilgrastim as a single dose after day eight, uh, and that can be an effective strategy as well. I use the filgrastim, the short acting, because often I can decrease the amount of growth factor I'm giving for patients who don't have as heavily pretreated bone marrow. Uh, but for some patients, they even need more than that, particularly our older patients. And then pegfilgrastim might be a good strategy to avoid multiple visits to the infusion center in patients who have to get their injections in a cancer center or older patients. Diarrhea is also a toxicity from sasetizumab. So you have to tell patients about the diarrhea and make sure they have an antipropulsive agent like loperamide at home. And then if patients continue to have diarrhea, even with counseling on use of loperamide, we actually dose reduce, and that usually takes care of the problem fairly rapidly. You know, some fatigue is seen with all of our treatments. And then alopecia is important to warn patients about. Uh, alopecia did not occur in all patients, but in our practices, we've seen significant hair loss in a majority of patients receiving sasetizumab. Great. Thank you. That was so insightful and, you know, just very practical information for our audience, too. For those just tuning in, you're listening to Project Oncology on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Pavni Chalasani, and I'm speaking with Dr. Hope Rugo about the Tropics O2 trial for hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer. So one thing, Dr. Rugo, is especially with the DESTINY studies coming in and with the TDXD getting approved, if you were to translate Tropics O2 study results into a clinical practice, could you comment a bit about the use of one ADC after another, and how would you kind of strategize those? Absolutely. Of course, that's the big topic on everybody's minds now. So the question is, where do we use? Now we have a wealth of riches in an area where 
we really were, our wealth of riches was focused on endocrine therapy and targeted agents prior to this point. I think that in patients who have hormone receptor positive HER2 low disease, TDXT is the standard of care in the second line setting, improving progression-free and overall survival. In patients who have HER2 zero disease, we would use sasetizumab and maybe move it up to the, you know, right after the second line, or in some cases in the right patient in the second line, uh, rather than waiting until the third line to start the drug. In patients who have hormone receptor positive HER2 low disease who've received TDXD, we're very interested in the sequential efficacy of sasetizumab. And I think I've already had several patients receive sequential drug. Uh, and one of my colleagues said we should try something else in between so they're not back to back. And other people have asked about the rationale of sequential treatment. But I think that what's important to keep in mind is the antibodies are quite different that are the delivery mechanism of the payload, the toxin that's attached to the antibody drug conjugate. And the payloads, although they're both topoisomerase inhibitors, they are very different drugs. Once you've given sasetizumab to a patient with HER2-0 disease, we know based on recent published data that the tumor might become HER2-low over time. Uh, then I would consider using trastezumab druxtecan in sequence after sasetizumab with an intervening agent or not. In triple negative breast cancer, it's a little bit harder because we have a big phase three trial with the ASCENT trial. So I tend to lean on giving sasetizumab first, uh, but I would use TDXD in sequence if patients have a HER2 low triple negative breast cancer. Great, thank you. So as we look into the future with all these novel therapies, what do you believe might be the next steps for research about these ADCs and where do we go from here? Well, of course, there's a million studies going on now, and they're all, they're in some ways going to step on each other's toes. So, but, you know, we want the best for our patients. So as long as we can put all this data together, we're going to be a, you know, be really a massive step forward. So there's Destiny Bresto 6, which is testing trastezumab druxtecan against chemotherapy of physician choice in the first line hormone receptor positive setting. Sasetizumab is being studied in the first line setting in triple negative breast cancer, both with and without pembrolizumab, depending on pdl one status. And trastezumab druxtecan is also being studied in combination with immunotherapy. There is data from the begonia trial from a single arm with under 30 patients. And then sasetizumab will be tested in a first-line trial in hormone receptor-positive breast cancer. And there are two ongoing phase three trials with datapotamab druxtecan, a trope two antibody drug conjugate, same toxins, but a new trope two antibody. And that's being studied in the second and third line setting in hormone receptor-positive disease, and in the first line setting in uh, triple negative breast cancer with a small cohort of patients who don't have access to PDL1 inhibitors who can uh, join onto the trial. There are neoadjuvant and post-neoadjuvant trials that are either planned or are ongoing with both of the ADCs that have approval in one setting or another, sasetizumab and trastezumab druxtecan. And it will be fascinating to see how, the, how these drugs work. So you can just hear from that alone, which really hasn't even delved into the world of HER2-positive disease, that there are a huge number of trials ongoing. And really what we're looking to is to move these agents earlier in the course of therapy. And of course, our ultimate goal is to cure more women with breast cancer. Great, thank you. 
Well, with those forward-looking thoughts in mind, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Hope Rugo, for sharing her insights on the Tropixo 2 trial for hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer. Dr. Rugo, thanks for this great discussion today. Thank you for inviting me and for your great questions. I'm Dr. Pavni Chalasani. To access this and other episodes in our series, visit reachmd.com slash project oncology, where you can be a part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.